0: Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. What lies beneath, guys, we're talking about this great reality of what God's Word is on the surface and how much more wonderful and incredible it is beneath the surface. Like what you don't see when you open it and go, oh, pretty words, like... It's the same dumb font that it's always been, and it's kind of boring to look at, right? We're all with you on that, but when you get into what lies beneath the words on the page of the Bible that God wrote for you, and it's obviously, as we know, lasted over the test of time. It's the New York Times all-time best-selling book ever, so it's not just, it really is legitimately the number one book of all times to be sold, so it's kind of like, hello, there's something going on here. Okay, and we really value it a lot. Dylan took last week and talked a lot about like having a standard, right? He showed some uh, American Idol and Britain's Got Talent videos of like, guys, we, you all agree, the whole world agrees there has to be a standard, right? Because some of those people get up there and think they can sing, and we know that they can't because there's a standard. It's called notes, I'm serious, right? Like we all know, like, and I'm not saying that the standard says there's one kind of music that's perfect and great and everything else sucks. Some of you have that opinion and are like, there's only metal. Everything else is worth it. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter what style of music you prefer. They are all grounded on the standard of the same set of notes that must be hit or it's not good at all. Style or not, if you miss all the notes and you're tone deaf and you're sharp or flat or off completely and you have no tempo and no rhythm, you will not be successful in music. Fair enough? It's why I'm a pastor. Okay? No, okay. Seriously, I cannot do it. Okay? But there's a standard. We understand that. We're like, oh yeah, absolutely. We get that there are standards, right? And so part of what we want to cover in this reality of God's Word being the standard for our lives is that we all demand a standard. And some people in the world would say, oh, that's so narrow-minded, that only one book and only one Jesus and there's only one way is so narrow-minded. It's like, no, actually it's not, any more than to say gravity doesn't really affect me. So I'm going to go jump off something and it will not, you know, like... It's like, oh, and you're like, uh, Ben, please don't. You're going to get hurt. Oh, so narrow-minded, awful, how dare you, right? If I come back at you and go, how could you just cascade all your beliefs on me? It's like, for real, we have this idea. We, we all get and understand, even the scientists, that there is a standard for all things, where we begin to depart from this is how we approach this whole God factor, and it's not a new problem. It's not a new thing to exist. So what I want to do is I've got a bunch of scriptures that I'm going to hit tonight and do my best to get to all of them. So this has to be way higher because I'm not that short. Here we go. So the first one I've got is 2 Timothy 4.3, and this is really cool. If you have a Bible, you can open it or phone or whatever if you want. But this is like a really powerful real verse. It says right here, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Okay? A time will come, it says, when people aren't going to be okay with firm, sound doctrine like gravity. And they're going to be like, well, actually... And they're going to disagree, and then they're going to find people around them to get, to agree with them about it. Does that make sense? Now, here's a great real example, and I've kind of touched on this in Lyft the last couple of weeks, but this is like really huge in my heart as this massive reality is that when we get outside of the standard of God's Word and look for the things that we desire to hear to satisfy what we think ought to be and what ought to happen— We see things go incredibly wrong. And I bring up the idea of the Jewish Holocaust. Anybody heard about it before? And there's so many of these throughout history, right? But the Jewish Holocaust, we can agree, is one of the most egregious realities that's happened in recent history, maybe all of history, where Hitler convinced the Germans by this like corrupt, manipulative leadership, whatever, he was a great leader who didn't do a great job of leading people. Like, that makes sense? You're not a great leader. If people don't follow you. Does that, did I say that right? You're a great leader if people follow you. That's what the reality is, right? Hitler was good at leading, but he went in a really wrong way because he had a certain mindset on, and I believe it was influenced by the spirit of the devil that convinced him and therefore convinced all the people who followed him of one simple truth that made the Holocaust go through what it did and happen the way it did. And he left, students, remember what that one truth is that the devil convinced Hitler and all the Germans and all those people, the Nazis? What was that one truth about Jews? They're what? They were not human. Simply one little lie, right? He took a group of people and convinced an entire country and much of Europe, those are not humans. They must be executed. And he succeeded by, I don't know the stats. How many Jews were killed? Do we know how many Jews were killed? What? Six million. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. That's more than Harrisburg. Okay? I mean, way more. All right? So here's the deal. Let's fast forward a little bit and see what the devil was doing a little later when the standard of God's word, again, was not upheld by the people of the world that we know, specifically in America. We had what we like to call and refer to as the slave trade and the mistreatment of African-Americans. What was the lie that the devil convinced American landowners and settlers and all these people, whoever they were, what was the simple lie that he convinced them of? That they're not people. Same lie, different place, different time, apart from the standard of God that says all men And women are created equal, right? He created us in his image. We are all image bearers, regardless of the color of our skin. But the devil came in, apart from a standard of biblical truth, and convinced a culture they're not human. And we see the results. Now let's fast forward again to, is it 1976, Roe v. Wade? Is it somewhere in that range? 60s, 70s, something like that? We had a court case where the devil convinced a huge amount of people, and specifically a court of judges, that babies were, or in the womb, were what? Not human. And in the same lie, that's what happened. They said they're not human, so it's okay to abort them. It's not a different lie. The Holocaust, the slave trade, abortion in America today, We're still seeing the same lie of the enemy because there's the removal of the standard of God's truth about what humans are, image bearers of God. You don't think the devil wants to destroy the image bearers of God, take them out in any way he can? But he's not that creative. He's just sly about it. So he takes the same lie and gives it to a different group of people in a different time that suits what they want to hear Because this pregnancy is really inconvenient, it would really help for me to believe that that's not a human so I can feel okay about taking it out. And judges agreed. And this is what I said in Lyft the last couple weeks was, look around yourself right now. Every single one of you is a survivor of the abortion movement. Right? Right? Look around you. Guess what? You all are here because you were not aborted. Ding. Right? But do you think the devil likes that? No. Because his he doesn't want the standard of God to be upheld, so he wants to see more and more image bearers of God eliminated from the face of the earth. So what's he going to do to your generation that survived abortion? He missed his opportunity. Part of it. He's going to He is going to convince a generation that they're not valuable, that they're not loved, that no one likes them, no one wants them, take your life. Same lie. He's going to still come in and go, you're not, there's not value. Removes the standard of what God says about you, and it gets really easy to start believing what you want to hear because you feel depressed in the moment. Something's really hard going on in your life, look, like, this is real in the world you live in. It's not like none of you are going, like, really? What's that? What? Like, you've experienced it in your own heart and mind. You've seen it in friends around you, this kind of stuff. It's this lie system of the devil that says, there is no standard. Figure out what you feel today, tomorrow, or the next, and go with it. And he knows. He is on purpose doing this, not to set you free so you don't have to go through the misery of this life, but to eliminate you because you survived the last wave of his execution process of your generation, because the prophetic words of your generation are so great, the devil's terrified, or he wouldn't have stepped this up. And I'm not this big abortion activist thing, but listen to me. Six million Jews were killed in the entire Holocaust. We kill more than that every year just in America in abortions. More than six million Every year since 1960-whatever. This is a real reality, and it's not like, I'm not like making a political stance here. I'm going like, this is the standard the devil has lowered and said, no humans. I don't want anybody to believe they're a human because then they don't care what their value is. Then they can't live to their potential as an image bearer before God. Boom, it all falls apart. And he wins. And that's his plan. That's his strategy. But it's so simple to defeat this if you, one simple truth in reality is God is God and his word is truth. That is the standard. This right here, the book. Okay, great. There's a lot in here and it's really confusing and you probably don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. But guess what it says in John 1 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in a person named Jesus Christ. The standard for human living. Okay? All of the Word, all of the prophets, all of the laws, all of that was summed up, packed up in this really cool dude that everybody chased after because everywhere he went there were crowds of people because this Jesus guy was healing people, saying things that just totally countered their way of thinking and their culture. And something I jotted down on my notes here is if you want to see a culture change or a little environment change, your house, your school, your friend group, whatever it is, you ha- it's, in order to bring change somewhere you have to be different than the system that you're trying to change. You don't have to be completely opposite You don't have to turn to be like, holy roller, I'm a Christian. I ain't getting around y'all. Okay? Please don't. But you've got to engage the people that God's put in front of you. Be who you are differently because you have a standard that says, no, that's off. No, that's off. And people will grab a hold of you in the storm of life because you're the only anchor they know. Because you're connected to something strong that's not just like, ah, ah. I'm depressed, yay, happy, I got a boyfriend, yay, perfect, ah, you broke up with me, ah, like, and they run back to you and they're like, oh my gosh, you're so secure, how are you, how are you secure in this moment? And you're like, I have a standard. This isn't narrow-minded, this is freedom. You get to walk through life every day going, nothing can shake me and nothing can shake those around me because I know that there's something firm and true, and his name is Jesus. And I have a lot of things to say. And I, I probably don't have time. <sighs> That's one verse. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> I'm good. I'm on fire. No. So here's the question: Who is Jesus? He asked this whole thing in Matthew. He asked his disciples one day. He's like, Hey guys, like, who do people say that I am? Anyway, they're like walking down the road, and he's like, Hey, he's just doing like a Poll or something he's like hey guys what do people say i am or who do people say i am because you know there's all kinds of opinions and they're like oh some think you're you know a prophet some of you think you're a teacher of this or some of them think you're elijah the old prophet come back and all this crazy and they're like and then jesus goes okay that's interesting and but then his next question to them is so pointed and powerful do you get do you know what the question is anybody who do you say that i am jesus goes okay great The opinions are all over the board. But what matters right now is, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, oh, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. He wasn't like, oh, well, I think you might be a little of this, and you might be a little of this, and this is one of the great fallacies in this culture today, is this semi-belief in Jesus, going like, hey, you know, and the Muslims think it, the Mormons think it, the I don't know all the religions that think it, but generally most of the major world religions don't write off Jesus. They go, hey, he was a pretty good teacher guy. No, I'm serious. That's like what the Mormons would say. They're like, wow, he was like a special anointed teacher. The Muslims have him in the Quran. He's spoken of as a great prophet. Like there's all this stuff, but there becomes this great problem with that reality. And I have a video we're going to show. Do that second video, the graphic one. It's like two minutes long. That this is from C.S. Lewis, if you guys have heard of him, wrote Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and all the other ones, okay? He made this argument way back because he's old that sums up this problem simply with this whole concept of if you just think Jesus is, like, a good guy, I'll I'll, I'll take him along for the ride, but, like, that ain't all of it. This kind of shows a simple systematic problem with that thinking where you either have to receive Jesus for who he is or toss him out completely in the garbage, okay? Lord, liar, or lunatic, you cannot have a Jesus who's a really good teacher, but he isn't God. Does that make sense? If you don't believe him to be the God that he claimed to be, and he did multiple times more than what was there, claimed all kinds of other things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're kind of going like, that guy's Either, you can't just say, like, he was a really good teacher, but I don't think he was quite the son of God. Because then everything he said was completely false. So he either was totally lying and making up this really good story to gather up lots of money and riches and all that stuff, but crap, that doesn't work out because all he owned when he died was his clothes. It's like, wait, he didn't benefit from manipulating people into some kind of system. He went to the cross where he could have said, oh, no, no, I'm not him, and totally avoided it at that point, but gave his life for you because he knew that there was a standard that had to be kept, and that standard was purity, cleanliness of heart that we as people, because we have sin nature, can't measure up to. We can't live that life that Jesus paints that's like, oh, perfection and purity and perfectly clean, but what he did on the cross as God came, lived the sinless life, held the standard and paid the penalty for the sins we commit today. Is this like you follow? That's the power and the reality of who Jesus was. And there cannot be another way. Now, I have this like kind of visual thought because I think our culture, you guys know what a funnel looks like, right? Our culture, I think, looks at a funnel about heaven and we see a lot of this it's called universalism um where essentially it's this belief system that all roads lead to god lead to heaven right so it's this big open funnel system right and you just kind of like drop in wherever and you end up bouncing around and eventually you drop through the hole that is heaven or god right That's the belief system. It's like, ah, you know, you have your way. You have your way. You're this, like, I don't know about the Jesus thing, but I live a good life, so I'm going to make myself bink, 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 bink down into the midst of this thing. But guess what? Jesus flips that entire system on its head like he does with most of the systems of our world that don't actually work. And he flips that funnel up on on its head and says, right here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That little part at the tip. No one comes to the Father except through me. In another passage, he says, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. Another passage I had here, and I won't go and read all of them. Where is it? It says, make every effort to enter the narrow door that is Christ. Because in that door, it says, when when you enter in that door, you find pasture. You find freedom. You have life. There's this great reality. He says in another place, I have come as a light to the world that those who believe will no longer live in darkness. So it's like, is it narrow-minded to say Jesus is the only way? You can think of it that way from a human standpoint, or you can go, it's really easy since we've been given the answer to hit the mark, match up with Jesus. And when the funnel's flipped upside down, that other side looks like a wide-open adventure of discovering God because we entered through the proper channel that's not just a heaven thing it's not just oh get Jesus you go, go to heaven and be done with the whole thing it's a, there is one way to life to freedom and fulfillment and all the things God's called you to and one of those is to live in the light and not darkness you're looking into a world and we've all experienced seasons of it in our own lives where it just feels like darkness and you're like I don't know where I'm going I don't know what's going on and that sounds a lot like the dark but Jesus came as the light. So who, those who believe in him, not so everybody gets, expo- like, gets this exposure. It's like, nope, find the door. That's me. Put your trust in me alone. Drop through that funnel and see the greatness that is exposure of all things wonderful and amazing and incredible. And God said, I have come to give them life and give it to them more abundantly. This is not like this closed minded like you drop into the tip of the funnel and you're in this skinny little tube for all eternity, like now I'm a rigid little person sitting on a cloud playing a harp and I wish I would have just, you know, missed the mark. Like, no, it's like the funnels flip to a place that says like, boom, enter through me, explode into what freedom looks like for your life. And it doesn't mean go your own way, do whatever you want, but you enter through Christ, you experience that, oh my gosh, I couldn't have got here without him. How can I live in that freedom to honor him, to worship him, like what we do here, and like, like we say a lot, is like this is not the, the beginning and end of worship when we put a band up here and say, "Okay, let's worship," and we pray and close. Like this one moment of your week to corporately worship together, but your life is a worship. As you're sitting in your desk at school, traveling back and forth on the sports field, writing music, playing music, like doing all this, like doing art and whatever activities you do, what God puts in your heart is an opportunity for worship. And when you're on the bottom side of that funnel after entering through that freedom, it's light, it's life, it's creativity, it's the ability, like Nathan who's up here tonight to probably have been part of writing, I would guess, 500 songs by now with between the people he's worked with and recorded and done all this stuff and people like fly him out where to go out to Seattle or something to got like pulled all the way across the country to go write songs with guys because there's a gift on him because he entered into a place that's called anointing through the door that is Jesus Christ and again it's not narrow minded it's just truth that Jesus is the standard bearer Jesus is the mark, and when you compare all things against Jesus, you just go, wow, he loves me, and you compare your trials and the crap that goes on in your daily life, and you're just like, but Jesus loves me. I'm going to be okay, and your friends look at that and go like, how can you say that? And You go like, because my circumstances aren't my standard. Because when your circumstance becomes your standard, it's all over the place. Because your circumstances, everybody in here with a test can change by the minute, but your Jesus doesn't. And something Chris Valentin says that just hits into this moment right here too is that we we are not our temptations. That's the lack of a standard that says, oh my gosh, I'm tempted to to like guys. I don't know, like what's wrong with me? And we then associate our identity with our temptations. I'm struggling with like loving myself or feeling like I want to go on with life. I'm suicidal and we identify who we are based on the things that tempt us. It's like, I really like sugar. I really like alcohol. I must be an alcoholic. Like we begin to like, they're, I'm not saying alcoholism doesn't exist, but it is not an identity. It isn't who someone is; it's what they do, and it, it is broken. And they can figure that out, and God can free them from all that stuff. But you cannot associate yourself to as the things that you struggle with, or you're just like going to like flow into whatever crazy land. I actually made the mistake of Wikipediaing today. Is that a word? I made it up. Okay. But I searched the like the history of people who claimed to be Jesus over the last like four or five hundred years, and there's a whole list. It's really interesting. Um, I don't have time to read through them, but some of them were like, some of them were borderline funny but sad, and others were just terribly and completely sick. But this great reality of people that were like, I'm Jesus Christ the Messiah, and they made these crazy claims and they led people. According to what their itching ears wanted to hear, and there were these guys that made these compounds in Waco, Texas. You probably heard about that one in 97. And he had like 900 people living in this compound in Texas convinced that in order to pay for their sins, they had to all gather together and kill themselves all together. 900 people, mass suicide. That sounds like Jesus to me. No. That was a complete departure from the standard of what the word of God says. There's nothing anywhere close to that reality in there. There's another guy in China, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but he had like over a million followers. And one of his doctrines is that to have sex with him was the only way to purify your sins. Over a million followers, people. These are like real, like you lose the standard. It's all way out there. Like there's no limit to what craziness can come upon you when you release your soul to the wiles of the devil and whatever he might convince you of and that's what we see in the hitlers that's what we see in the slave trade mentality that's what we see in a court system that says ah it's not a baby yet and they're all starting to learn and go oh but third trimester that is problematic like and they're all going like we don't know because there's no standard it changes every couple years they're like oh no that third trimester, and I can until it's out of the mom, it's not a baby. And then they're like, oh, third trimester, wow, that's freaky. They got hair and they got heartbeat and they got all their toes and fingers. And, oh, my gosh, we actually determined they can feel things. We really shouldn't abort them in the third trimester. So they move the standard to whatever their itching ears want to hear. You see this across your culture. We'll hit it big time next month with the sexuality thing. But what's marriage? Why is that important? It's a piece of paper, some contract. My parents screwed up. Their parents screwed up. Marriage in my world is stupid. Why would I want to ever sign up with that? Because the standard's been abandoned, and even the marriages that we see most often around us today. The standard of what God has said is like, no, there's a reason I put standards down. To guard your heart, to give you life, to give you freedom. Freedom. I keep Maisley from climbing into the oven when it's turned on. I'm so narrow-minded and restrictive. She's like, but it looks fun, and I'm cold. Why wouldn't I get in the oven? Like, I know, it's hilarious when you think about this, but you apply it to the rest of the world, and God's saying, no, sex is for your marriage bed under the covenant that you make before God. And he's not just like some hate monger trying to ruin your life. He's saying, no, there's freedom when the power of sexuality is harnessed within the confines of marriage. Oh, my gosh. That's the standard. And God is not in it to ruin your life. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So stand up with me for a minute. Come on, don't disconnect. Give me one minute here. I just want you to close your eyes right now. Don't get distracted by the people around you. Just close your eyes. And I want you in your mind, and most of you have done this and know this and whatever, but I want you to refresh your mind and refresh God's heart with who you say that he is. In your own words, in your own heart right now, Do some work, and if you're like, oh my gosh, i kind of been missing this thing. I've been kind of riding to like, oh, Jesus is a helper, good, that'll work. I'll use that part of it. Maybe you're totally like, I don't even trust the Jesus thing. All right. I encourage you to give him a shot and dare him to show up in your life. If you've been tracking with God and Jesus your entire life, you grew up in church and Man, it's easy to get complacent when you're just like, oh, yeah, heard the story. Great. Come on, do some business with him right now and just go, God, who do I believe you are? Maybe you've never even thought about it more than, oh, yeah, he's the son of God. Like, to you, not to the person next to you, not to your mom and dad. This is the time in your life when you begin to go like, mom, dad, your thing is your thing. I want my thing. And your thing doesn't have to be different than mom and dad's thing. Please let me, under, like, please understand that. If your parents love God and you're so done with being told that you have to love God too, make the decision for yourself and stop being forced. And then it's not their thing that they're pushing on you. It's your decision to actually chase after the God who chases after you. Tell him who he is right now in your heart. And if you really don't know, ask him. Say, God, I'm not sure. Come and speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. Guys, I believe our culture can be shifted in a generation, and the devil believes it too. It's why he's trying to take you guys out. I'm dead serious about this. He's got a mission. says it in the Bible. It's not a brand new thing, but he's up to the ante right now on your generation. says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission, period. I believe a generation can be shifted. Boom, the whole culture can go. But that requires a group. It doesn't even have to be a huge group at first, but it requires a group of young people going like, there's a standard, and my world doesn't even know what it is. I'm going to show them by the way I live my life, by the way I speak the truth, by the way I uphold who God is, boldly and full of love, not like, oh, well, you don't believe in God, you're bad, but in a place of, do you know the God that I know? If you had one minute with Him, God, you'd be so free from the bondage that you're feeling right now, from the darkness you're living in. Be the standard bearers of your generation, guys. Thank you, God. So, Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for every single young man and woman in this room. I thank you that they're here because the devil hasn't got them. They belong to you. They are yours. And you've called them to greatness. You've called them to change their culture that they see as dying. God, I pray you'd rise them up tonight, God, that their hearts would connect with what you're doing, with a great standard that puts them in a place far above their generation in knowing what's true and what's real and where they're going and nothing can possibly phase them, Father. Thank you for your power displayed at the cross. And what it means to us, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit to help us do what we are unable to do out of our humanness. To be like you, God. I bless this generation. I bless these guys. Give them an amazing week, God, of encouraging the people around them. Being the anchor where they're at, God. Because they know what's solid. They know what's secure. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.